You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Utavia Podcast. Yeah, 13. Unlucky for some, not for us. Uh, my name is Raj Baines. I am your host. I am joined, as ever, by Rory Benton. Rory, how are you? I'm very, very well today, thank you. Excellent. Um, nothing clever to open with. Let's just dive straight into the Leicester game. Yes. Uh, given it happened on Saturday. Saturday, 3 o'clock. Uh, Saturday, yeah, three, three o'clock, <laughs> three o'clock, uh, it's a great start that, um, not many of them in the Premier League as we've come to learn, two points dropped? <sighs> given the context of the, <laughs> given the context of the game, yes, um, if, you'd, if you'd asked me before the game would you take a draw, I would have said yes, if you'd said after the game is a draw fair, I would have said no, Town did everything that they could to win that match. And it was including scoring a second goal. Including scoring a second <laughs> goal, which was which was onside and just a dreadful decision. Um, but you know, it's that's the way the cookie crumbles, as they say. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's a bitter pill to swallow, and that's for me. That's why something VAR, maybe not in its current format, but some sort of video referral has to come in because. You know, if Town go down by a point or two points at the end of the season, we'll all be looking at that game and saying, well, the referee cost us it. The worrying thing for me isn't the one result or the refereeing because that sort of thing happens across the course of the season. The worrying thing for me is that this is a very similar conversation to what we had after the Southampton match. And that's two mm-hmm. home matches on the trot now against sides that were supposedly inferior to that we've wholly outplayed and should have won both matches. I think, objectively speaking, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. That's four points dropped in two consecutive home matches, in my opinion. It's not the end of the world, but you don't want that pattern to emerge. No, I I, I see where you're coming from. Um, and I think the way that Town have played, it does feel like four points dropped. But I think before both matches we both would have taken a point against those teams. I think it's, I think you can look at it both ways, really. It's this, you know, two sides of the same coin. Town have played really, really well. That is a massive positive and they've outplayed these teams. It's almost a positive that we're disappointed that we've dropped points. Exactly, exactly. That's, you know, you go into the game, you don't expect anything and then you come away feeling like, you know, that you've lost the game and actually you've got a point. That's, that is, for me, a positive it is something that town need to address in terms of actually putting the ball into the net. And that's something that happened at Crystal Palace. That's something that, you know, they showed that they could do that. Um, but it's something that they need to do on a more regular basis. And they need to do it more than once in a Premier League match because the Premier League is so full of quality that the other team's likely to score a goal as well, no matter how good your defence is. One thing we touched on was the level of officiating. The, the goal is the obvious point, but there were finicky little bits all the way through the game, calls that 
seemed strange. Several throw-ins that appeared to go the wrong way. Very basic mistakes. One thing that we were always critical of was the level of officiating in the championship, but having made the step up, the step up in quality of officiating doesn't appear to have borne any fruit. It seems to be similar, and similar sorts of mistakes are made. They're just made with more people watching. Yeah, it's one of these things that I think everyone debates every season because, (laughs) you know, you can't... There's going to be human error at some point. That's why I would be in favour of getting some sort of video referral system for big calls such as such as the goal. The little, there were some really strange decisions, and Danny Williams kept getting penalised for stuff which just looked innocuous. Um, it's kind of, in a way, it's fine when it's fair. If the referee is bad for both teams, then that's fair enough. It's when there's such a big call like an offside or when the the little things build up and it just seems like, to me, like it seemed on Saturday, that Leicester were getting quite a few more of the calls than Town were. I think one of the big calls they got right, I thought the penalty was a penalty, um, despite it seeming as though Andy King stepped on Chris Lerver. It was Lerver who made the challenge. There was contact. It was in the box. That, for me, is a penalty. But... It's you know, somewhat annoying that the only decision he appeared to get right all game was in yeah, Leicester's favour. Exactly. So it's just it is just a a very frustrating thing to have to talk about every week. Um, to be honest, I thought because he refereed the the Crystal Palace match, John Moss, at the start of the season. Yeah, I thought their Palace were complaining about the amount of tackles that Town were making. I thought Town were making fair tackles, fair and firm tackles. I think that might have played on his mind. Possibly, but it's just it's just one of those things that hopefully it's just an off day for one referee and you know next time it, it, it will get a different referee on a good day. So it's just it is for me it boils down to if Town go down at the end of the season by one or two points or if they miss out on Europe by one or two points then we'll be coming back to this. <laughs> There's um what people usually say in this sort of situation, the the cliche thing I guess to say is that it all evens itself out. There'll be a game where town perhaps aren't it the best. It just doesn't though. <laughs> it just doesn't. You know, I, I, I was reading something. I think it was on the on the Mail or the, or the Telegraph or something. They they'd had a look at actually no, it was the Mirror. They'd had a look at all of from last season, all of the refereeing mistakes, how many points that cost each team. And I can tell you it's not the same number of points for each team over the season. And I'm not saying that one team's going to get 12 and one team's going to get like zero. But if Town get two points taken off them and I don't know, West Ham are going to be, maybe if they're down there at the end of the season, they get two points put on. And there is, you know, a crossover there where West Ham could have gone down. Then, you know, it's always going to be highlighted and it's going to be something that Town fans will remember as, you know, that. Not is the only reason because in a in a Premier League season usually the cream rises to the top and that kind of stuff. But you know it will be pointed out as you know that that cost us. If we move on from the officiating and speak about more individual players, um, Huddersfield have played five Premier League matches now and they have comfortably been the better side in four of them. The only time that they haven't is in the West Ham game, which they yeah. lost. Um, I think 
uh, we've spoken about our disagreements about West Ham's deserving to win that game or, or you know, their, their manner of victory, yeah. but we'll leave that in the past for, for next time. Um, one of the real highlights for me in this game was the partnership of Aaron Moy and Danny Williams. Aaron Moy, obviously, um, if we blew any more smoke in his direction, he would be made out of gas. Um, but Danny Williams, if we... Um, Concentrate on him a little bit. Coming in for Phil Billing, who looked like he was running out of a bit of steam, obviously played far more football this season consecutively than he had done before, mm-hmm. at a higher intensity and, and tempo. Under-21's duty as well, it's fair yep. to say that at his, at his age, you know, minutes catch up with you. Uh, but Williams, fresh engine, didn't stop running, broke up play wonderfully. His surging runs from deep were something that, Nobody else in that position does in a similar sort of manner. His pace and comfort on the ball is really pleasing to see. His distribution in the final third isn't the greatest. There were a couple of times where he made the wrong decision with his pass, tried perhaps one that was a bit too easy, a bit too hard, sorry, when there was an easier ball on. Uh, that's definitely an area in which Aaron Moy is the, the superior. But his physical ability and the the thrust he gives vertically from simply carrying the ball from defence to attack and doing it at his pace it was a real joy to watch. Yeah, he was he was my man of the match by by far, really. I think him and Aaron Moy formed a really, really good partnership, which was good to see. Um I think it was, it's hard to think of a footballer that Aaron Moy probably wouldn't form a good partnership. Yeah, that's true. It, it was, it, but it was reminiscent of the Jonathan Hogg Aaron Moy partnership of last year. But I think Danny Williams is a bit more, a bit more. I don't know, maybe agile and a bit more dynamic than than Jonathan Hogg. I think Jonathan Hogg is is a warrior and will give you everything every game. Um, but I think Danny Williams maybe has an extra string to his bow in in that he can go forward a little bit more. Um, what but, I would say is that what he has additionally in attacking prowess, defensively he's not as solid as Jonathan Hogg, so that's the payoff there. I think the Hogg, as a pure defensive midfielder, mm-hmm. gets through more work and does it more efficiently because there are one or two times where Williams will surge upfield, lose the ball and be caught out of position, whereas the fact that Jonathan Hogg doesn't do that, he's less likely to leave his defence open. True, but I would say that Danny Williams has the desire that Jonathan Hogg does to get back and to make that covering tackle yeah, afterwards. Um, what what it reminded me a, a, as well of a, at the weekend was his performance against town in the playoff final. He was everywhere that day and it was just good to see that that wasn't a one-off for him. He can do that week in, week out. So he's really put his, his hat in the ring for a Premier League start next time. For me... He had such a good game, you just can't drop him. Um, and as much as you know, people say, oh, Jonathan Hogg's coming back and Phil Billing brings something extra, once someone's got that shirt, it's very hard to knock him out if you put in a performance like that week in, week out. So, you know, it'll, Aaron Moy, will, will if he is fit, will play every week. And I think now it's, it's Danny Williams' spot to, to sort of lose, I think. It's interesting because um, with Hogg coming back, that puts essentially three players fighting for the same jumper in that position. So it's it's not a bad position to be in against teams who are likely to sit deep and against teams that Huddersfield want to control the ball against more. Billings probably uh, 
be your option against teams you want to be more combative against and, and break against, then it's likely going to be Williams against teams who you think you're going to concede possession against and, and need to get your foot on the ball and win it back and be more resolute defensively. You think Jonathan Hogg gets a shout? So I would think in that final category, you might even be looking at Hogg and Williams with Moy in a more advanced role, but well, in the more advanced role that Wagner usually plays, but obviously you wouldn't be as high up if you're playing the likes of, I don't know, United or City or something like that. So I'm not against the idea, actually, of, of Huddersfield playing a midfield three. Because four two three one something that obviously Wagner's um, dedicated to and it's brought him a lot of success. But against those sides, especially away from home, that are, you know, without a doubt better and more dangerous than Huddersfield are, there has to be some concessions. And mm. I think David Wagner has acknowledged that previously in things he said to the press that he's thought of different ways of playing this playing his team without conceding in their ideology. And I think the obvious way to do that is to lose the natural number 10, play a lone forward with two pace players outside of him in a, in a three, and then drop Moy deeper with two more defensively minded midfielders, so it'll likely be Hogg and Williams. Yeah. And given that those three players essentially play the same position but play so differently... They'll likely gel and it'll likely work as, as much as you can do against those sorts of sides. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way that that they have to do it. That's the way. I mean, that's the way me and you see it. I think, but you know, it depends. <laughs> We're not managing Huddersfield exactly, Town, yeah. And we didn't take Huddersfield Town from the Championship to the Premier League, so we'll we'll see what happens in the future. It'll be interesting to see. I think it's Tottenham's the first sort of, you know, slightly above average club that we're playing. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, we'll see. In, is that two weeks' time, I think? Yeah, the 30th, I believe. Um, there's a couple of games in between now and then, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you were speaking about Williams in glowing terms in that he played so well that he can't lose his place. Another player that I would put in that category is Laurent de Poitre. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. If Williams was your man of the match, mine was de Poitre. It's not just because of his goal. I think hadn't even if he hadn't have scored, the work he got through and the way he... It's almost anachronistic from the way that people expect him to play. Um, it, it, nobody was lumping the ball at him. Um, it happened occasionally, but it wasn't plan A. It happened, you know, when we just needed an outlet rather than sort of that was our main route to him. His play with feet uh, was fantastic. The way he ran the channels, his turn of pace was really exciting to see. You know, we made a joke about him laying brick and you know being a labourer and all that sort of thing. In actual fact, he's got a civil engineering master's and is probably smarter than you or I could ever wish to be. Um, but I think his his appearance does him a disservice in terms of his attributes because he's a far different footballer than the one you would expect if you were to judge the book by its cover. And I think his goal was a perfect example of that. Harry Maguire is not a poor defender. Um, Leicester spent an awful lot of money on him. There were an awful lot of big teams after him at the, at the same time. He's in the England squad already, given his performances already this season, but the Pacha lent into him, pirouetted in an elegant manner. It really was. And then just beat him for pace and had a finish the match against Casper Schmeichel, who's not a bad keeper at all. And, you know, put all those three things together and that's as about as about as impressive a finish as Huddersfield have had in the Premier League. Yeah, he was he was absolutely superb all day, and and the the goal kind of epitomised everything that he did well. That 
that turn of pace that he has is just <laughs> it's it's just you know you just don't expect it to come out of him but he can really beat beat players to the ball and then he's got the strength to hold it up he's got the eye to to lay it off and then you know there was a few crosses going in as well afterwards and it you know he's turning and getting in the box and wanting to score more goals so i think there's a lot more to come from him in terms of goals and performances um as you say it's going to be hard to get that shirt off him now i think with steve munier still being out for i think 10 to 14 days i think tottenham's the game he's back for um de Pacha, you know has the chance to make that shirt his own I think the important thing is that that's a far more active competition for that place than anybody had ever assumed it to be. Not just based on appearance, but transfer fees paid. Uh, Three and a half million for Depoche seemed as if it was a bit of a punt. Seems like an awfully good punt at this moment in time. Um, The money spent for Mooney was obviously record amount, so people expected him to have first refusal, which he has had. The injury has come at a bad time for him. You'd imagine he'd still be playing... Mm-hmm. hadn't that occurred but the only thing you can ask of your reserves is to come in do a job and, and challenge and challenge and that's exactly what he's done to a tee yeah and I, I just I just hope that he plays for me if I was David Wagner I'd play him uh, at Crystal Palace in, in the cup try and keep his confidence going hopefully he gets another goal and you know if it's such a confidence game football and if you can just get a striker to score a couple of goals in succession in like successive games. You know, you, you put yourself in such a good position in terms of, especially for town who have such a good defence. If they can get to Patrick scoring goals in the next, you know, four or five games, even if it's just one a game, that puts them in such, such a good position. And it, you know, if you score one goal in four consecutive games in the Premier League, you're probably going to pick up some points. With Towns' defence, you'd probably pick up four, five, six, maybe. So it's just, it's a great position to be in, and it's not one that we expected to, to Town to be in at this point. So, yeah, it's 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 looking pretty rosy at the minute. A quick word as well for Abdel Hamid Sabiri, who was making his first Premier League start at the same time, coming in at number ten. Uh, Ince went wide. Case uh, Palmer obviously injured. I thought his assist was really good. He was bright in patches, obviously not as up to speed as everyone else, lacking the pre-season, the match time that everyone else had had. But in the moments he did have, his close control and his vision were really impressive. And that's going to be something that will be key to Huddersfield going forward. If we're complaining about um, the inability to score goals and finish teams off, getting Sabiri up to speed and getting him playing his best football might be key to that happening. Yeah, and in in addition to that, I would say you know the the aspects of of his game you've highlighted were were impressive, but what really stood out to me was his physical ability, like his strength. He absolutely clattered Wes Morgan. He kept winning the, headers as well, yeah, headers <laughs> all over the pitch and winning tackles. And obviously that's why Wagner's brought him in because he fits the system. He he has that sort of terrier identity, like David Wagner likes to say. Um, but it it just seems for for a small guy who you expect to be a bit sort of flicky and tricky he'll absolutely clatter someone if he needs to and you know that again it, it epitomises what David Wagner's about it's another well it seems to be at the minute another piece of astute business by Wagner and Hoyle you can't really complain can you when somebody makes a debut that, that good one not so great part to use some 
terrible English. Uh, Christopher Lerver, obviously been fantastic, was somebody we sing his praises every week. Had a bit of a struggle against West Ham and gave away a penalty against Leicester. We've spoken about it a little bit in that it was contentious, but I think apart from that, he was really solid. He was good going forwards. Riyad Mahrez isn't an easy player to keep quiet, and he did as well as anyone mm-hmm. has. I think there was, given how quickly their penalty came after the goal, there was a an element of the whole team switching off a little yeah. bit. I think they were victim to that, and that's quite a rookie mistake, really. You'd expect better from them, and I think they all know that. The way they reacted to it clearly showed their disappointment because I think they all let, let themselves down a little bit because Leicester were nowhere near good enough to really score. That was their only time that they ever looked close to threatening really properly. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't really think apart from the the Mares strike, which went across the box, and and Vardy completely missed it. I think that I think they could have scored there, but yeah, it was just it's one of those things, you know. Like even in Sunday league football, when you score a goal, everyone you know tight for the next five minutes, boys. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, everyone says it. They, I think they just did switch off. It was it was a sloppy tackle from Chris Lever. He just. Whether he caught the man or not, when you go in like that, you you ask the referee to make a decision. I think the referee did get it right, um, but as you said, it's one error. Although he had a, a tough night on Monday, but he was playing against the best player on the pitch, Mikel Antonio. And He's not had an easy couple of games. Antonio exactly. followed by Mahrez. It's not the greatest for a fullback. Exactly, and I and to be honest, I don't think he had a poor game against Leicester. It was no, just no, that one I, tackle. So, hopefully, as I said with De Potro about his you know confidence, hopefully his head's not going to go down. He doesn't it, strike me as a character. No, he, he seems like someone who has confidence in his own ability, um, and that should shine through. I think in the next few games, we, we talked about this. Um, lack of ability to finish off teams at home. It's only been two games, so they don't want to overreact. But if there's any sort of quick fixes or something immediately you could point to that maybe would be better other than finishing off your chances, is there anything that, you know, immediately, you know, steps out to you as something that, that town could change and adjust just to sort of get these games over the line? I think one thing that they did change before going into the Leicester match from Southampton was that they seem to put more balls into the box. Yeah. When you have Steve Mounier and Laurent de Poitre up front, you have to put balls into the box because, you know, that's what they feed off as well as going short and up and, you know, X, Y and Z others. So I think they've, they made adjustments for the Leicester game. They had umpteen chances. Maybe not clear cut, but, you know, efforts on goal, which they should have done better. Obviously, Zanka's uh, effort got tipped over by Schmeichel. Colin Kwana should have won it at the end. So, for me, I think they made the changes that they needed to. They were just not clinical enough uh, against Leicester. And I think... That Kwana chance was awful. Exactly. He just used but, his wrong foot. Yeah. <laughs> I think he injured himself in the process yeah, as well. It's just, it's something that, it seems to be something that we've said last season and this season. But the club addressed it by getting in two strikers who are both internationals. Um, so, you know, there's only so much David Wagner can do before, you know, you, you have to just say to the players, just put it in the back of the net. That's, you know, football's an easy game when you can score goals. So, you know, hopefully, again, with a bit of confidence with the, from De Poitre and then with Mounier coming back, you know, 
possibly fighting for his place against a Poitra it's going to push him on a little bit as well so it's important to remember that we're only five games into the Premier yeah. League season so they're still learning how to play in this division David Wagner's still learning how to coach in this division and Munier and Poitra are learning how to play in this country as well not just the division so it, there's going to be a little bit of a, a learning curve um, the fact that the learning curve is coming in such a positive period with results yeah. is is hardly a bad thing exactly if we move on from the Leicester game, which, you know, we'll put down as a opportunity missed, I think is a fair way of saying yeah. it. We had a press conference today ahead of Crystal Palace midweek. Games are coming thick and fast. It's almost like being back in a championship. Ooh, yeah. um, how was the mood today? Was David Wagner on good form? Was he a little bit peeved? He, I know he was peeved after the West Ham game. Was he in a bit of better mood today yeah much better mood you could tell that he was just more pleased with the performance although the result you know Town could have won it and probably should have won it with the the ruled out goal I think David Wagner is one of those managers who you know if you play to your best ability you can't really complain about the result so no he was he was he was in a much sort of better spirits um I think he was he was. He said it. It hurt him about Casey Palmer's injury, but obviously it's not quite as bad as we thought. But he said he doesn't want to rush him back. Um, I think he was pleased that Jonathan Hogg was back. Um, yeah, so reasonably, reasonably happy, um, and looking forward to the game tomorrow. I think the Palmer thing is an interesting one and an important one as well because he was definitely rushed back last time, and even though he came through pre-season strong, I think ensuring that he's fully fit this time rather than getting him back on the pitch straight away is is something that Town need to be aware of. And I think it's something that Chelsea will probably impress on them at the same time. Yeah. They've got more options as well. Yeah, I think I think last time he probably was rushed back, but probably by his own volition because he wanted to play for Town in the playoff final, as, as anyone would. Um, I think this time, being the same injury, Town and Chelsea have to be careful you know he's a wonderful player and he's got a long career ahead of him if he you know recuperates right and i think david wagner would rather not have him play for the rest of the season and make sure he had a successful career than to rush him back for one game and you know maybe he'd be out for another another year or so so yeah it's it, everyone at the club wants wants the best for for every player so you know you, you don't want to rush them back and and spoil something which looks to be a you know, a, a decent career ahead of them. One more positive bit of injury news. Obviously, we saw him towards the end of the Leicester game with Jonathan Hogg back to fitness, back on the grass, as uh, David Wagner would say. Um, he's likely to start the Crystal Palace match. How important do you think it is to have him back in the squad and back in contention, given how important he was to everything Huddersfield did last season? Yeah, he's just, as I said before, he's he's a warrior. He's one of those one of those players who leads by example on the pitch. He'll put his body on the line for the team. He'll when you see Jonathan Hogg going in for a tackle, it just lifts you because you know he's going to win it and you know he's going to you know crunch the guy a little bit as well. <laughs> and that lifts you as a team. It, it, it's almost it's almost like scoring a goal when you're a defensive player and seeing seeing someone do that and especially against another Premier League team and you think, you know, actually we, you know, Jonathan Ogg's just absolutely creamed Wilfred Zaha. You know, <laughs> we deserve to be here sort of thing. You know, it's, it's just one of those things which which it it lifts the team, it lifts the fans and he as a player just, 
he's just the terrier, isn't he? He is the terrier in in the terriers team. So it, it's it's going to be great to see him back. Hopefully, he can stay fit for a bit longer this time. Because obviously, towards the end of last season, he had a, a couple of of knocks, which especially the ne- neck injury, which was <laughs> a bit more than a game. knock. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it'll be great to see him back on the pitch. Another interesting one, something that I don't think anybody had really picked on, pre- picked up on previously, is that Coleman's been selected to start. David Wagner's confirmed that. And the reason he's done so is that Rob Green's cup tied. Um, apparently, he's played for Leeds in an early round of the cup yeah. that nobody seems to have noticed. Yeah, first round, I think. Yeah. Um, it's slightly strange one, given that he's come in. Do you think he's not been on the bench for the Premier League yet either? Yeah, it's it's odd. I think I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we, we're constantly scratching our heads about this transfer because yeah. David Wagner keeps talking about experience and and him being there if they ever need him, but. They don't appear to have needed him yet. Uh, I wouldn't be. I don't know. This is complete conjecture, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a similar deal to Mark Hudson in that sort of there is a coaching element involved in it. But I have no. That is complete conjecture because you know he's he's not played, yeah, and it doesn't look like he's going to play. So it's just a bit odd, really. But you know, he might be a great person to have around the training ground with the young keepers that they have. So. Thinking about it, it more pragmatically, it might be that you know if Jonas Lossel gets a knock, you don't want to have to thrust a keeper as young as Schofield straight yeah. into the mix. Yeah, it's an awful lot of pressure, so you are giving yourself that extra layer of you know safety underneath that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Possibly, it's it's just, <laughs> it's not you know it's, it's a hard one to to make out of Taylor. Yeah, um, I'm sure we'll see Rob Green at some point, but it's not going to be in the Carabao Cup yeah. uh, because uh, he's cup-tied, which is news to everyone. <laughs> David Wagner also said that he's going to be playing his best team. Uh, I think that's a direct quote. What do you make of that? Do you think that's him sort of telling the truth or given that he has in the past said that despite rotation, he puts out the best team he thinks to win the match. Is that just him saying a line to try and ward off any FA fines that might be heading his way for 10 changes? <laughs> that's that's him saying that. It, it's something that he said repeatedly last season. I have a first team squad. I don't have a first team. Yeah. So it'll, you know, it, there'll be plenty of changes from the weekend. I, Aaron Moy, I don't imagine, will will play any part in the game. He's already said Joel Coleman's coming in for Lossall. Uh, I'd be surprised if Schindler plays because he played a half in the last round of the cup. Smith and Lerva probably come out for Adajonai and Malone. It'll be it'll be a much much changed team. But when you kind of look through that team, the players that are coming in aren't <laughs> aren't terrible by any means anyway. So you know it'll be a. a weakened team in inverted commas. But if we're going to have a guess at the team. We'll go Coleman. Yeah, uh, Malone, Jorgensen, um, Heffelin. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Dean Whitehead starts at centre-back. Possibly. I always like that experiment, personally. Mm-hmm. Dean Whitehead putting a boot in and spraying yeah. it out. In and, the... and Martin Craney could be back as well for a half, so... That'd be nice. Um, Hadouzhenai on the right. Hadouzhenai on the right wing. I'm excited to see him after your report from Altona. Um, in the middle, Billing and... Hog. Hog. Uh, in front of them, Sabiri will likely get another Probably, yeah. start just to get his speed up. De Poitre, Van der Parra, and Lolly. Joe, Joe Lolly, maybe, yeah? Yeah, I think that's probably about right. 
probably about enough to beat Crystal Palace at this moment in time. <laughs> well, well, we'll see you there, Pete, because you know if, if you're Palace, are you looking at are you looking at staying in the cup, or are you looking at resting your players and making sure that you win the next league game? So it's an interesting one because you'd imagine Hodgson will want to get sort of confidence yeah. up and you know win as soon as possible to win two losses on the balance. He'll want to score a goal because that's not something they've done yet. Um, Playing Dean Whitehead at centre-back might help them. Uh, we don't know. Saying that, he's been fantastic whenever I've seen him at centre-back, so there's no reason to suspect the defence will be any weaker for having him in it. Um, there's an interesting thing that came out of the press conference about uh, David Wagner and Roy Hodgson having a bit of history from 1997. Yes, the UEFA Cup final. Um, Wagner was playing for Schalke at the time. Didn't get on the pitch in, in the game, but he was just a... He was a lot younger then, obviously. He was 23 or however old he was. Um, and Roy Hodgson was manager of Inter Milan, who they were playing in the final. Uh, two-legged affair, um, which Schalke won on penalties. David Wagner likes to win things on penalties. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Apparently, he's not seen him since. So, um, I don't know. I think they'll be sharing a glass of wine or a water, I think it is, for David Wagner uh, after <laughs> the cook, game. doesn't he usually have yeah. after a win? Yeah. Treats himself to some fizzy. Um, it's interesting on this Hodgson thing because it's not long ago we were speaking about Crystal Palace. We were sort of praising them for making such a bold choice of manager. It reminded us of what Dean Oyle had decided to do mm-hmm. with David Wagner. The only difference is they didn't, really have, well, didn't, they? They didn't <laughs> have the same... Faith in their coaches, Dean Hall and David Wagner. I think it's important to remember as well that although performance has sort of picked up under Wagner when he first came in, the results weren't there straight away. There were still losses. There were still plenty of sort of questionable halves and you know dodgy things happening because obviously he was using somebody else's squad and that's the same, if not even more so, for Frank Labar who had a window and wasn't given anyone that he yeah. wanted apart from a young defender from uh, Ajax so I think it's slightly unfair and uh, it does point out just how special again what Huddersfield have done is because it's not something that many clubs have the the bottle to see through it would have been quite easy for Dean Hoyle maybe to give David Wagner six months say thanks for keeping us in the league but you know I'm going to find someone who's got a name and we know of I think what you've got to also remember, though, is there's bottle and then there's sacking a manager after four games. <laughs> that's not bottle. That's stupidity. Just, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just I, f- I felt very sorry for Frank de Boer because it, everyone knew when he came in that he needed time because yes. it's such a different system. We had a guest on about Crystal Palace and I think we came to the conclusion that you will finish the season far better than you start it Yeah, because there's such a big change here and not being able to have the patience to allow any of that change to take place, not even the start well, of it. Yeah, for, well, from what I've read as well, it seemed as though the decision was made before the fourth game. So you're actually talking about <laughs> three games into the season not scoring a goal, which is an abysmal start. But it's just, it's it wasn't, maybe it wasn't predicted, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it didn't, you don't go it from wasn't s- shocking that they lost three games when you appoint a new manager with a completely different style of football. You don't go from Sam Allardyce to total football overnight. Yeah, 
it was and the appointment I've got to say the appointment that they made they made it way too late in the summer as well they should have as soon as Sam Allardyce had said he was leaving it should have been if they thought Frank de Boer right within a week he's in he's bedding the system in and it took them what three weeks apparently they came out and said that their choices towards the end of the window when they were looking at managers was between De Boer and Hodgson and that shows no forward planning whatsoever that's like you couldn't have two just a name yeah, just Some two different ideas like what do you want to do it's like going to uni and, and saying oh am I either going to be a doctor or a plumber <laughs> what, how have you got no plan as to what you want to do with you going forwards it's a really strange situation. We are sort of setting ourselves up to be bitten in the bottom when yeah, Ryan Hodgson leads yeah. Crystal Palace to win, but yeah, I don't think that makes... total football. <laughs> I don't think it makes their decision any better. He may do well in time, but I think the, the consensus view was that they were actually worse this weekend under Hodgson than they had been in the previous match yeah. under De Boer. So, um, it's bonkers. It is a very strange decision. Um the player put up in the press conference, if we go back to that from our slight detour in, yep. uh, in Bad Mouth in Crystal Palace, <laughs> um, Michael Heffler. Yes. Um, if David Ragnar was in better spirits, Michael Heffler wasn't. He usually bounds around like the human version of Tigger, but given his lack of playing time, he was a little bit miffed today and, and very measured in what he had to say about missing matches yeah I wouldn't say miffed as such you could just he wasn't the Michael Heffer that you know we've come to know and love he was a bit more withdrawn um, whether it's lack of playing time I think he's also a bit frustrated with his injury which he kind of got he said today he was he played through injury um, at the playoff final and then it's just taken him forever to to get it better his, his Achilles um, so yeah it, he was I think the problem is that now Schindler and, and Zanka are forming a partnership and it's it's going to be tough for him to get back because they've had what three clean sheets in five Premier League appearances. So, yeah, he was he was slightly downbeat. Um, he did say that, you know, he, he just wants the team to win. It doesn't matter about his playing time, but, you know, as a footballer, you want to play as many games as possible. Um, so I think we'll, with him being up at the press conference, we should see him um, tomorrow night. Uh, and hopefully he can, you know, pull off a Rochdale again. <laughs> Heffaly against Benteke, that's a, <laughs> that's one for pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, if we go back and speak about Palace in more football in terms rather than boardroom level, we don't really know what to expect from them anymore because we don't know what Roy Hodgson is going to do with them. He seems to be able to be given the, you know, slate to go in and go okay have a look at your squad and decide what type of football you want to play just keep us in the division Mm -hmm. sort of a thing he doesn't really have an ideology in the same way David Wagner does he he almost changes the manner in which his football teams play according to who's in his squad which has been a strength in the past at the likes of Fulham and West Brom obviously had great success there when he's given a slightly higher stage especially in the latter period of his career, England and Liverpool especially, he has struggled. Um, so the size of the team he's at probably suits him better. It's his hometown club as well. What I would say on that though is Liverpool and, and England had standout players who I, whereas West Brom didn't at all and he got the team playing very well as a team. I think at Liverpool and Everton he didn't utilise the weapons at his disposal. 
as well as he could have done. So going into Palace, they have Wilfred Zaha and Christian Menteke. Those are the weapons that you have to use. Whether he'll go in and, and you know, ping balls into Menteke, which is what Sam Allardyce did, which is what kept him in the division last year. Whether he'll do that or he'll still try and play a, a, a type of football based around a team unit and not allowing Ben Teke to get that far up the pitch or not allowing Wilfred Zaha to go on a mazy run through 15 players. You know, it's it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic works because I feel that as much as Palace are maybe a similar level club to West Brom, I think they have a bit more in common with Liverpool as well as being that sort of level. So it'll be it'll be an interesting one to see. One thing that Roy Hodgson won't do is overstretch and get hit for three. Mm-hmm. Um, Huddersfield may win by three, but it won't be because Crystal Palace have been adventurous. Yeah. Um, given how early he is into his reign, he's defence first manager. He's all about systems. One of the problems he's had with higher profile players is that they don't like the way he trains them. Because apparently it's quite monotonous, repetitive. He will do the same drill over and over again for weeks and months on end until he feels it's at the standard he he wants from them. That's all right if you're doing it with Steve Sidwell, but if you've got Steven Gerrard, he's not going to be doing your flat back fours for for too long. But that's what he's going to have to do at Palace. I imagine when Town line up against him, given that he'll know how we play because we're not shy about discussing it and and being proud of it. Um, He will set up with, in a similar manner to Leicester, two deep banks of four and look to hit on the break through his wide men. Um, I think that's probably that's the simplest way of playing, and that's almost Roy Hodgson down to a T. Um, so it's something that you know Huddersfield will, will likely be the better team on the night. The only way they'll lose this match is if Crystal Palace are able to do what they haven't done at any stage in the league this season and convert their chances on the break yeah. into goals. Yeah, yeah, it's you know goals win football matches, so. It'll be interesting to see if they can. They scored two against Ipswich in the last round of the cup. Um, whether they can do that against Town when you know they didn't. Although Jonas Lossel made two brilliant saves in the first game, those were two saves that he had to make. That was it. So it'll be interesting to see, especially with the players that they select, whether they will get those chances again. Have you had to have a score prediction for this one? You sound delighted at that question. Well, <laughs> see, I want to say 3-0 again, but it's not going to be. <laughs> you said that last time as well, and that yeah. didn't work out for us. I think it's... I, I have a very... I have a suspicion that this is going to go a long way. This could go to extra time and penalties. A long night. It's going to be a long night, yeah. It's going to be, you know, midnight in London. Mm. I think I'll go for 1-1 Huddersfield Town advance on penalties. Sounds like a, a good bet to me. You probably get some decent odds on that. Um, I think that's just about us done for today. We'll come back on Thursday, discuss the Palace match. Look yeah. forward to the Burnley away Burnley game. Yeah, really excited about that one. Actually, I can't wait to get to Turf Moor. Are you being sarcastic? No, no. Genuinely, genuinely <laughs> I've never been to Turf Moor, so it's it's a ground that I'm I'm strangely looking forward to. They've got rid of the wooden seats now, I think. So you're not going to quite have the same throwback I feel, but. Uh, well, I don't want to go anymore. Beer <laughs> um, 52 before we forget, obviously Huddersfield occurred on the website, pay for postage rather than £24 for the crate, so you're saving 20 quid, £5.95. 
was it 14 beers, 12 beers? No, it's not. You can get a pack of eight or a pack of 12. Okay, so you can get more than that. Yeah, you can get um, as many as you want. Yeah, and you just pay for, the beer. Pay, for, <laughs> pay for postage. Um, like I said, we'll be back on Thursday if you want to subscribe on iTunes or Audio Boom and you won't miss an episode if you leave us a comment and a rating on iTunes apparently that helps makes us look better uh, which you obviously want because you like us and uh, we'll speak to you again on Thursday goodbye Rory yeah we'll speak to you then Ben jij prijsbewust? Nu extra MB's bij de Sony Xperia XA2. Voor 19,50 per maand, 300 minuten of sms'jes en 1500 MB internet tijdens de Ben Prijsbewust Week. Kijk op ben.nl. Let op, geldplenen kost geld.